0: Today is my oldest son's birthday, Donald's birthday. Yep. he turned 12, I think. He is—he is a dozen years old. He—he um, he got Settlers of Catan. Uh, for, he asked for that, and basically my, my life just gets worse. Now, now even my children want to play board games. It's horrible. He's like, Dad, will you play this with me? I was like, No, I will not. He used to disappointment. Anyway, um, so last week Andrew talked about dying to our dreams, right? Yeah. And that was legit one of the best sermons I've heard. It yeah. was so stinking good. We heard from Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Andrew talked about dying to our dreams and allowing the dreams of God to replace ours. Yeah. Right. right. Remember that? It was like your dreams are only kind of good for you, but God's dreams are really good for you and everybody else. Yeah. Right. Good. That was so good. Um, so tonight, I kind of want to take that a step further, right? In addition to giving up your dreams, in addition to giving up things that you like maybe hope for or, or desire to get one day, mm. I am of the conviction that a truly surrendered follower of Jesus was also give up the things that you deserve, Yeah. Mm. right? And so we're going to kind of think about this for a while um, and to kind of get us in the mindset uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 26. And I'll set the stage for you a little bit. So what is happening is, is uh, John the Baptist has been preaching, and he's, his first words are, Repent, the kingdom is at hand, right? And he's the one that, that was prophesied to go before Jesus and, and make a way for Jesus. Right, and so he's he's preaching, and there's revival. He's like some crazy dude. He's wearing camel hair, eating bugs and honey, and living out in the desert in the wilderness over by the Jordan River. And he's preaching, and people are coming to him in droves. Right, and it's it's a spectrum of all of society. They're all coming to him, and they're getting right with God, and they're getting baptized in the Jordan River. right? Right, and he's got this flourishing, amazing ministry. A revival is happening. Right? Right. And then Jesus comes along, and John baptizes him, and it's like a voice from heaven, and a dove, and all this crazy stuff, you know, like, could you imagine, you baptize somebody and like, heaven speaks? Yeah. Anyway, uh, and, and Jesus inaugurates his ministry in that moment. Yeah. And Jesus begins his ministry, right? And, right? and so John's disciples, people that are like, team John the Baptist, right? Right. They're looking around. And they said, it says, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. God, I, I pray that you would remove distractions and obstacles from our mind. Lord Jesus, let us hear clearly what you're speaking to our hearts and let us face what you're speaking to our hearts with bravery and courage in jesus name we pray amen so it's my son's birthday today but last week was another birthday uh amani's birthday and uh she was kind enough to invite me and my family uh, probably more of my family and I tagged along to go out to eat on on Sunday after after church, and I was like stoked, right? It was a lot of fun. Right. Um, so we went to Texas Roadhouse, yeah, right? You did. The the place where they have that that like crack butter. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh man. Everyone goes, oh. Right. So good. So good. Anyway, um, I love that stuff. Anyway, so uh, my kids. Like couldn't wrap their heads around the concept that that I once was a waiter at Texas Roadhouse. Yeah. Right, there was a time in my life. It was like a good two or three years where I waited tables there. Right, and um, I had to do the stupid line dancing. And if I hear Copperhead Road one more time, I will <laughs> strangle someone. Right, but the, like they just they were just like what is. Really? You you did this? But you've always been, like, dad, you know? Like, no, there was a time when I was not dad, and it was pretty cool, because I got to sleep. <laughs> I got to have money. Anyway. Uh, but whenever I go to go to a Texas Roadhouse, it's like an inner battle, right? Because I know what they're supposed to do. You know, I know how it's supposed to be run. And, like, the one here folks, they're just not good at it. I'm sorry. It's, and so I'm, like, critiquing everything in my head. like, oh, the waiter didn't greet with the with coasters, you know, or napkins, bev you know, like the, the hostess didn't send down plates and silverware, they didn't, they didn't offer a refill on the roll, like I'm going through the checklist, right? I'm like the worst, you know? Don't worry, I tipped well, because I know who I am, right, I understand, right? Um, but working in that restaurant was actually a really awesome time. I had a blast waiting tables. I, I'm just one of those people that waiting tables is a lot of fun, it's fast paced, which is great because I have ADD, and and like you interact with a lot of people, and you can be sarcastic because most people are dumb and they won't catch your jokes. It's it's so much fun, right? Um, but it was also one of the first times in my life that I saw what a group of Jesus-loving people could do in a community that did not love Jesus, hmm. right? Me and a bunch of my friends intentionally got jobs together at Texas Roadhouse. There was like six or seven of us. We all were in Alpha together, we all walked with Jesus, and we all got jobs together just to see what we could do, right? And it was so much fun. We had a blast. Like, we would do some really dumb stuff. Like, one time, it was a Wednesday night, which is the slowest night to wait tables. You're like, great, I'm gonna make like 30 bucks. So I changed my name tag to Vladimir, and I walked around talked like this all night. Like, hello, my name is Vladimir Valhilsky, I come from Ukraine. What to drink would you like? And the whole night, right? I just pretended like I was Ukrainian, and people bought it, right? I made like eighty dollars that night. I made like twice as much as anybody else in the building. It was freaking awesome, you know? It's like small town Texas and East Texas. You know, they're like, "Oh my goodness, you come from Ukraine?" Yes, I crossed very straight to the left. I have green card, America, great, I love it. You know, I was like going full bore out, right, and uh, it was it was really stupid. But it was a lot of fun. Another time, I made fun of a lady. Uh, it was a Sunday morning, and she was just horrible and mean. And I made fun of her the whole time, right? And everyone right. else at the table tipped me $20. I made $120 at on that table by making fun of one lady. It was great. Fantastic. I don't know if that's right or not, but I did it, you know? Uh, yeah. Another time, I convinced my manager to change my name on the schedule to Captain Awesome. And, like, the amount of people that were angry about that was astounding. They're like, get up there. You know, they're lost. They don't know Jesus. They're just like, who the... F- is Captain Awesome? Who's Captain Awesome? You know? And they're literally going through. They're like, okay, you? Mark you off the with their copies and, you know? And, like, Scroggins, why are you Captain Awesome? I'm like, i like, they bestowed the title upon me. You know? Like, I don't know. Right? Right. Um, right? It was great uh, because... We had a lot of fun, but we also did stuff to help people, right? Um, One thing that we tried to do, like there were some Christians, right? They worked there too. They weren't a part of Chi Alpha. They were part of other ministries. And and their tactic to try and win their fellow co-workers to Jesus was to engage in debates and arguments. But we made a commitment to make that secondary. What we decided to do was to serve them. So we would do things like pay their tip out which could be up to 10% of your income. Yeah. Um, on Saturdays and Sundays, since we were Christians and not going out and getting drunk Friday and Saturday <laughs> night, we always got scheduled for the opening shift at 10 a.m. Yeah. So we would bring our French presses and our coffee grinders and like our fancy non-Starbucks coffee, and we'd make coffee for everybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. right. There, I remember one girl, her name was Karen, and she came in one day so proud because she was like, even though I was drunk last night, I remembered to put my favorite mug in my car. You're like, good job, Karen. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> right?
1: right. Our, the owners
0: ended up buying coffee for us because productivity was so much higher on Saturday and Sunday mornings when people had coffee. Anyway. Right? We would even like, sweep and clean other people's sections. Yeah. Hmm. Right? Um, right? I don't know if you could just throw like, peanut shells on the floor and stuff there. Right? It's a, it's a pain in the neck to clean up. But when the person next to me, whatever section was next to me, when they would go to do their back work, I would just sweep the floor for them. Yeah. I would clean their tables for them. they come back, and they're done. Yeah. Hmm. And, and people are crazy. They get mad about this stuff. Right? I had people run me down and try and pay me back for paying like their you know, $20 tip out. I would be like, look, if I'm short $20 on rent at the end of the month, I'll let you know, okay? <laughs> But they would always ask, why are we doing this? And remember, there's, there's a group of us that are doing this. Why are we doing this? Yeah. And that's when we would have the opportunity to talk to them. And we'd always tell them it's because they're worth it. And because Jesus loves them, and so do we. Yeah. Yeah. We weren't perfect. We didn't screw up. Yeah. But people did get saved. Yeah. Yeah. There are people that are church planters and, and missionaries now that got saved yeah. because of that. But I do remember one time where I was kind of embarrassed, and it wasn't the Vladimir night. But uh, two of my friends, they were in Chi Alpha, like my boys, you know. um, They were small group leaders. One night they got into a fight in front of everyone, like screaming and shoving match. And these guys are like, you know, the night before they're all like, yeah, Jesus is great. And they're like, you know, fighting. You want to know what they got a fight o- in a fight over? A broom. A broom. Like to sweep floors, a broom. There's like a dozen brooms in that restaurant, right? But they wanted that one. It was the good broom, you know? Every, everyone has a good broom, you know what I'm saying, right? So if you get a picture, two 20-year-old men of God yelling, screaming, and shoving each other Over a broom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. They just had to have that particular one. See, they both felt that they had a right to that particular broom. I saw it first. I grabbed it first. Well, I used it first. No, you used it second, right? Right. And what I realized watching this ridiculousness, I realized that whenever you stand up for your own rights, you look like a child. Yeah. 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 Whenever you stand up for your own rights, you look like a child. Hmm. You ever think about that? No, that's my shirt! You sound like you're four. That's things that Harold yells at George. Okay. Right? right? Whenever you stand up for your own rights, you look like a child. So how do we live? How are we supposed to navigate life without looking stupid? Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This word meek is odd. We don't really use it anymore. And it's kind of an odd concept as well. Um, Because in our culture, it's a trait that we don't value. Yeah. You know? For most of us, I'm sure that when we think of meekness, we equate it with weakness. Because I know for me, as a dude, meekness flies against cultural standards of manliness. Yeah. You know? And it's interesting that churches sometimes compensate for the meekness of Jesus. In the way that they talk about Jesus, right? They emphasize like Jesus's conquering return, right, over his suffering death. Um, one of one of my favorite instances of this was uh, one of my friends was preaching at a church, small church in East Texas. He said he walked in the foyer, and the first thing he sees is this big picture of Jesus riding a white right, riding a white horse on the clouds returning, right? And he's got a sword, and he's like, ah, you know. And then on his left is a dude on a horse with an American flag and on his right is a dude on a horse with a Texas flag. Right? Amen, brother. See, in our mindset, meekness means you let other people walk all over you, right? Like we're told, you gotta stand up for yourself. Don't let other people take advantage of you. I know I've heard a lot, be a man. And this usually means Be the most aggressive bully in the room. Assert your dominance and get the respect you deserve. That's my problem. (laughs) Or maybe meekness is disregarded in another way. Maybe it's not this, this concept of masculinity that we have. Maybe meekness is disregarded maybe now more commonly because it does not serve you to get the notoriety that you think you desire. In our age of social media projection, the loudest, most bombastic personalities get the views, the clicks, and the likes. If we are meek, we don't garner those dopamine hits that we get off of Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, right? So we anxiously await another person to see us and feed that all-consuming beast of self-affirmation that we have growing in our chests, right? So we, we do away with meekness. This isn't a thing that we value. Yeah. Yeah. Either subconsciously or consciously, we strive to be the center of conversations. Yeah. We strive with others for the focus of all the eyes around us. And we feel we deserve to be wanted or valued, right? Yeah. Right. We're not meek. It's mm-hmm. not something we value. Yeah. But all of this compensation, all of this non-meekness, all these things that we use to show strength Or make ourselves feel validated or valued, all these things are just born out of a place of really sad insecurity. You got to show how strong you are externally because internally you know that you're actually weak. You're dominated by your passions, you have no inner self discipline. Externally, we got to exert control because internally we're out of control. Mm. Externally, we seek social validation because inwardly we're invalid. We do whatever we must to be seen because inwardly we know we aren't really worth seeing. You may be asking yourself right now though, hey, but don't I have beauty and dignity? Aren't I made to feel secure? Aren't I made to have validation? Yada, yada, yada. Well, yeah. Yes, you are. These things are from God and they are good. But the issue of meekness is not about meeting those felt needs, but who provides for them. Yeah, that's right. Meekness is the opposite to self assertedness and self-interest. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. Yeah. yeah. In short, the meek person is not occupied with self at all. Meekness is not weakness. Yeah. Meekness is actually yieldedness. Yeah, that's right. A person that has yielded their right to handle these things on their own. That is a meat person. A meat person has placed restraints on their small and limited strength and power in favor of the unlimited and endless strength and power of God. They have trusted Him to provide the moments of validation and all the rest. And, this is key, for a meat person, when those things don't come, they trust God that they either need to learn a deeper understanding of death to themselves, or they trust that their suffering will be for the benefit of another. Yeah. Hmm. They have determined in their hearts that they, that they deserve only what God gives them. They no longer fight for what they think they deserve, but they trust that God gives them what they deserve. Yeah, yeah that's good. Hmm. Yeah. Andrew Murray uh, amazing guy. You should read everything he wrote. He says this, Jesus said to Peter the first time, deny himself. He said to Peter the second time, thou shalt deny me. It is either of the two. There is no choice for us. We must either deny self or deny Christ. There are two great powers fighting each other, the self-nature and the power of sin, and Christ in the power of God. Either of these must rule within us. Yeah. yeah. In our cultural moment that is so obsessed with power dynamics, this idea of total surrender, this idea of total surrender just breaks all of our categories. Yeah. Yeah. I am convinced that meekness is true strength and true power. Hmm. Think about it. right? Let's, if someone comes to you and demands your jacket and you give them your jacket and your shoes, in the end, did they really take anything from you or did you give to them? Yeah. Who actually was in control? When someone forces you to go one mile, but you go two, who was really in control? Yeah. If someone fights you or insults you, but you refuse to engage or agree and respond with forgiveness and blessing, there was no fight for them to even win. Yeah. You, do you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do we accomplish this? The million dollar question. How do we become meek? This is where we look at the example of John the Baptist. His ministry, his livelihood, his validation, his notoriety, everything. Everything was evaporating before him. But he understood that the way to ascend to heaven was by bowing low. In the King James, it says... He must increase and I must decrease. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He must become greater and I must become less. Yeah. So we have to be like John the Baptist. Yeah. We must die to ourselves and die to our perceived rights. We must meekly shrink away from control of our lives and (laughs) empty ourselves. Because here's... The reality, right? God can only fill empty vessels. He cannot place anything in hands that are already full. John the Baptist understood this. So John decreased and allowed Christ to increase. Does that make sense? Yeah. To live in any other way is to fundamentally misunderstand how the universe actually works. So in those moments where you don't get that validation from that friend that you wanted, those moments where you don't get the attention from that special someone because Valentine's Day is coming up. I know it's on your minds. When you don't get that attention from that special someone, whatever the case may be, you just surrender your right. Take a moment and just pray. Remind your flesh, I don't have the right to this. Yeah, I don't have the right to this. Look, as, as a campus pastor, right, there's a lot of really fun things, right? I, I get to do a lot of cool, fun things. I get to have a lot of fun. But one thing that also happens to me is people always misinterpret me, right? You see me up here with a mic. I say stupid things. That doesn't help. But sometimes I just have to remind myself I don't have a right to be interpreted correctly. That's not my right. 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 And if someone's misinterpreting me, if I'm meek, I trust that the Lord is allowing that to happen because there's something I can learn or there's something they can learn. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see that? Yeah. See, when we, when we strive for our rights, when we fight for the things that we think that we deserve... It's kind of like a person that shows up at a wedding and insists that all the focus be on themselves and not the bride and groom. Yeah. (laughs) Do you notice how John phrases it like that? When John the Baptist, when he's talking to his disciples and he's trying to help them understand what's going on, he's saying, no, like, look, it ain't about me. This is the groom's wedding. Hmm. Right? Right? Right. I mean, you've seen those, like, shows, like, on whatever, the TLC or whatever, like, where it's, like, the bridezilla stuff, you know? And, like, the mother-in-law shows up in a white wedding dress, too, you're like, what the? Are they insane? Yeah. I mean, like, we have some friends where their siblings got engaged at their, at their, uh, um, at their wedding, right? Like, at the party after, what do you call that? I can't remember. Reception. Reception. Can you imagine? <coughs> Like, we're all offended by that. But we do that to Jesus every day. Yeah. Right? Because it's not about us. This life isn't about us. It's about him. We must decrease to allow him to increase. Yeah. And when we hit those moments of conflict, hit those moments where we're deemed, where we're hurt, we just got to remind ourselves who it's actually about and put our lives in perspective. We are like John We're the one that goes before We're the one that makes the way for the Messiah To enter the lives of humanity And so necessarily We must decrease And he must increase When we fight for our rights We just look like two stupid grown men Fighting over a broom See God moved to change lives in that restaurant because we surrendered ourselves to him and lived at his bidding to be sure people did take advantage of us. They did. I can't tell you how many times the person next to me, like in the section next to me, just really wanted to get out of there. And so they just leave. And they tell the person in charge, they just go, oh, Scroggins said he'd take care of it for me. I said no such thing. But I did it anyway. Because I don't have rights. And the crazy thing was that when they flexed their selfish power, when they thought that they were real cool, they were exposed as frauds. You hold up that attitude versus a meek person. A person that has yielded their rights for the benefit of the kingdom. they looked dumb. And those were the best moments of witness for us. When they'd see us cleaning the sections of the people that were mean, the people that just dumped things on us, right? right? They'd ask, why are you cleaning their section when they treated you badly? And we'd use that as an opportunity. We'd just tell them, because they're worth it. Because Jesus loves them and so do we. So this is all very good, right? I think. Right. I think these are good concepts, right? Right. We should en- we should endeavor to be meek. Yeah. We should endeavor to decrease so that Jesus can increase in our lives. But here is the rub: your ability to surrender is directly proportional to how good and kind you think your God <laughs> is. Your ability to surrender is directly proportional to how good and kind you think God is. Yeah. Hmm. So are you like John the Baptist? Do you rejoice at the approach of the groom? When Christ puts you in situations where you have an opportunity to be meek, to decrease, to allow him to increase, when you have an opportunity to yield your rights, to allow the power of God to work in the hearts of others, do you take it? Or do you fight over a broom? Or do you stand and shout at the wedding like a petulant child seeking attention? Quote Andrew Reary again. He says, many think of Jesus as their savior, yet never realize that Jesus ought to be their friend and guide and keeper all day long. Their leader and master, whom they gladly obey. Many Christians might talk about him, yet not know what it means to walk with him. Mm-hmm. So, if the bank, come back up. My question for you is first, do you trust that God really has your best in mind? Do you really trust that He has your best in mind? Do you trust that He can validate you and not others? Do you trust that He will provide relationships for you? Do you trust that He'll protect you? Do you believe He's actually in control? Or do you only trust yourself to supply for yourself in all those areas of your life? I would like us to pray over that. These areas in your life, the Holy Spirit's put his finger on it. Those things are in your mind right now. You know those places where it's hard to yield your right. Because there's that old man, that old flesh that hasn't died yet, and he's just going, no, no, it's mine. But if God is really as good As we say he is Then we can let go of everything And that is the secret To real Walking with Jesus To real power in life Because here's the deal A dead man can't be killed A slave cannot be conquered And the dethroned Cannot be overthrown You see that? A dead man cannot be killed. A slave cannot be conquered. And the dethroned cannot be overthrown. You can't be knocked off your perch if you're not on it. Right? When you yield these rights, it makes you impenetrable. Because you are relying on God and not yourself. You're trusting our good and wonderful Jesus to be your defender, to be your redeemer, to be your savior, to be your lord, to be your lover. So, do you trust that God can really fulfill you? Can you yield to Him? So, I'd like to open our altars up here as we always do. Y'all know the drill, right? Your physical posture will definitely help your spiritual posture. If there is something that you have not yielded to him, do it. Put him to the test. He's good. Trust me. And let's really fight to trust God and believe that he is as good as he says he is. Amen? Amen. Let's yield our rights. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would move in our hearts. Lord, let us, let us give up. Let us surrender. God, I pray that we would become what East Stanley Jones calls the terrible meek. The ones that are so emptied of themselves that they, they can't be broken, they can't be defeated. They're unconquerable because they rely on your supply and not their own. We love you, Jesus. Speak to us. Amen.